Our New Testament reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the uh, Colossian church, the third chapter. Paul writes, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, throughout um, the New Testament, in Paul's letters and the letters that we have from others, This image comes up again and again, the body of Christ. We hear, you are the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Together, we are the body of Christ. And in today's letter, we read, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. Now, many of you are probably familiar with the sort of excellent little extended riff that Paul has on this in his first letter to the Corinthian church. It's this long passage where he talks about the body of Christ as the church. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? And I love, I love this metaphor whenever it pops up in the New Testament because it's such a good, human, concrete way for us to think about being the body of Christ, being the church together. We have an ear over here and an eye, and someone else today gets to be the spleen, whatever that particular organ does. But together, in all of our differences, we make one body, and we can do good things together as a whole. And it's this great image, because it works for an individual church, right? Like, we could think of peoples as the body of Christ. Each one of us here today brings different gifts to this community, And together, we create the whole that is this church. We serve the community of Milan as the body of the church. But this metaphor also works on a higher level. We could think of the church universal, the whole church in the world. So the Presbyterians, we might be sort of up in the brain somewhere, like maybe the frontal lobe, because really the great gift the Presbyterians bring to the church is that we're really good at structure and organization and making rules, and all those things are things that your frontal lobe handles. 
And maybe, you know, our friends in the Pentecostal church, I suspect they might be the guts of the body of Christ. Because if you've ever been in a Pentecostal worship service before, they do sort of emotional, visceral worship in a way that cannot be touched by any other denomination. I mean, there are flags, and there are people dancing, and there are people speaking in tongues, and there's people running around the aisles. It's amazing, and it's so compelling in that way that we would say sort of, comes from your guts. It comes from who you are. I imagine that Catholics might be, to some degree, the hands of the body of Christ, because one of the greatest gifts of the Catholic Church throughout the years is the outreach that they have provided in service to the world. I mean, just think about the number of schools and hospitals, social service organizations, and even like little fun groups like, do you guys know the nuns on the bus? There's um, this group of nuns who wear their full habits, and they pull up in this sort of beater old bus to fancy shareholder meetings at really big companies. They own just enough stock in any given company that they can show up in their full habits at the shareholders meeting and speak from a place of their own religious and moral conviction as a member, as a shareholder of these companies. And they become known as the nuns on the bus when they pull up in their beater bus in front of these big, gorgeous, sparkly corporate headquarters. So the Catholic Church, one of their great strengths is service. They might be the hands of the body. Now, each of us bring different strengths, but together, as a whole, we create the body of Christ for the world. Now, this image of the body of Christ is also a personal favorite of mine because it brings up one of my favorite cheesy horror movies from when I was a little kid. And I'm not really a horror movie watcher, but my mom worked at an eye surgery center when I was growing up, and so... Uh, One year for Christmas, we were given this VHS tape of a 1958 black and white horror movie called The Crawling Eye. And it has absolutely no plot to it whatsoever. It's like an hour and a half of scenes of this giant goobery eye with tentacles crawling his way, terrorizing uh, an alpine village. Like, really, it's just completely bizarre and totally hysterical. But every time I read that line from Paul, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? I can't help but imagine the tentacled, goobery, like crawling eye coming through the church all of a sudden. It's kind of an insane image, but it works. And I actually think that's kind of what Paul's getting at here. Because I think that sometimes, as individuals or as whole denominations, it's really easy and natural for us to think, that we are sort of getting it right when it comes to being a Christian. If everyone would just agree with my theology, if they would just run their churches the way that I run my church, if they would just listen to me, then it would all be great because obviously we're doing it right here. But the problem that Paul points out there is essentially that's like the I saying we're the only part of the body that matters. Because the fact is that we, as individuals, as this church, or as the Presbyterian Church more broadly, we have strengths, but we also have weaknesses, right? And it would be pretty boring and not at all helpful if everyone was just like us. Instead, we are a whole body. We are brought together by different members with different purposes, and together we create the whole. But sort of as silly as that image of the crawling eye is, I actually, as I was pondering this image of the body of Christ this week, started to think that there's actually something more dangerous to us as members of this body of Christ. Because the crawling eye image, this idea that all of us 
have it together and the body only needs the eye. That's sort of the stuff of science fiction. That's not real because the fact is the body's always going to have different parts. We're never going to get to a point where everyone thinks exactly the same way. But what I did start thinking about was that if Paul, 2,000 years ago, had known about autoimmune diseases, I think that's what he might have used as his metaphor instead. Now, there are tons of different diseases out there that we call autoimmune diseases. At this point, there's like just over 80 different diseases that are classified this way. And what they have in common is that an autoimmune disease is when one part of your body, your immune system, the part of you that fights off illness and keeps you from getting sick, when that part of your body gets tricked into thinking that a healthy part of your body is actually a disease. And so your immune system does what it's supposed to do. It goes to work attacking this disease. But it turns out it's not a disease, it's a healthy part of your body. So, for example, one autoimmune disease you're probably familiar with is rheumatoid arthritis. That's where your immune system thinks that the tissue in between your joints is actually a disease. So it starts fighting against your tissue and it causes swelling and stiffness and pain, rheumatoid arthritis. Or type 1 childhood diabetes. That's where your immune system attacks the cells in your pancreas that make insulin. So your body can't make insulin anymore, which is something that you really need. That's an autoimmune disease. So. You know, I, I have pretty limited medical knowledge personally, but I did, some, I did some Googling this week, which makes me something of an armchair expert now on autoimmune diseases. And what I learned from Google this week is that these diseases really don't have a cure. There's not much that we can do to stop it once your body has decided this is how it's going to work. So the best that medicine can really offer to someone with an autoimmune disease is to control the symptoms. So for a type 1 diabetic, you're going to give them shots of insulin. With other people, maybe it's diet or exercise, lifestyle adjustments. Perhaps there are some other medications or surgery. You control the symptoms. You can't get rid of the disease. And so when I'm thinking about the body of Christ and this image that together we are one body, as much as we might squawk about this idea of the eye or the ear or the brain being all important or central, that's sort of a made-up issue. That's not actually something we need to worry about quite so much. It's not possible because others are still going to exist and there are going to be differences. But it makes me wonder if instead what the body of Christ suffers from is an autoimmune disorder. And so hear me out on this. It's one thing to talk about how important we are. The disciples did this all the time. They were constantly squabbling among themselves who was the most important. But in the end, they had their differences and they kept working together and it was fine. It's another thing altogether to be involved in actively wounding or fighting another part of the body. And I wonder if that's something that we sometimes do without realizing what we're doing or the damage that it actually causes to the body of Christ. So, for example, uh, take the all-too-common piece of church gossip. And this is something that I have seen in every church that I have ever been a member or a leader of. Church gossip just exists. And sometimes it's pretty minor, right? Like, in fact, most of church gossip is really minor sort of stuff. It's, you know, whispering after the service about that horrible, ugly flower arrangement that Mrs. Doolittle thought was appropriate to set on the communion table. Like, how could she possibly think that? 
But sometimes church gossip can be a little bit more major, and that usually takes place when there's something big happening in the church. Maybe the pastor or a music director or someone else is being fired, and the personnel committee can't share many details about what's happening, so in the absence of details, gossip starts to sneak in around the edges. This is something I actually experienced in the church that I grew up in. There was a very serious situation one year where um, it was a very large church, and one of our youth leaders, uh, turns out, had been abusing one of the students in the youth group. It was a terrible situation. But because of the nature of that given situation, there weren't a lot of details that could be shared publicly with the congregation. And so little stories and whispers started around the edges. Now, what ended up happening in that particular situation, I mean, the situation was dealt with appropriately by the leadership of the church, but in the congregation of the church, these little stories started to pass around. And these little stories grew, and they grew, and they grew, and all of a sudden, we found out that the local junior high down the street that had many teachers and students there who had connections to our church started to hear these stories, which may have been true or may not have been true as well. And this junior high got drawn into all this drama that was happening at our church at the time in completely unnecessary ways. And when the ground had been cleared and when this situation had been taken care of, what was left behind is that there were adults and there were kids, there were members of the church, and there were people who had never stepped foot in our church before who had been hurt and wounded by the stories and the words that had been shared. And I think that is an autoimmune disorder of the body of Christ because it's such an easy trap for us to fall into, right? I mean, I know that I have participated in church gossip before, and I'm sure it's something that I will, in fact, fall into again because it's easy, right? It's just talking about another person when they're not present. It's taking a story to someone else rather than going to that individual for the truth. And I'm ashamed of that. I'm ashamed of the fact that I have participated in that because it harms the body of Christ. It harms my body. It harms my community. It harms the people that I love. It harms this God that I purport to worship and follow. But that's how autoimmune disorders work, right? Like we cause harm to ourselves in our actions. Now, there are so many examples throughout history about this. You know, in uh, the time of the Reformation, there were literal wars where Christians, Catholics, and Protestants were killing each other over issues of both religion and politics. That is a literal example of the body of Christ killing off its own. Back in the New Testament, it's full of fights in the early church. Who could eat which kind of food and who got to sit at what part of the table and whether or not a given pastor was like really the voice of Christ or whether someone was a heretic. I mean, there were splits within years of Jesus dying and being resurrected. So this is not new to us. The body of Christ is pretty well practiced at hurting itself. So the question for me is then, how do we treat this autoimmune disorder of our body? It's been there since the beginning. It's still with us today. I don't think we're getting rid of it anytime soon. So how do we treat the symptoms? Now, I just want to be really clear about one thing, first of all, uh, so that you guys don't think I'm standing up here scolding the church. I want you to know that this particular church, People's Presbyterian, is without question 
among the kindest and most compassionate and caring communities that I have ever been a part of. I honestly think that this church is doing a great job. I'm so proud of the way that we treat each other and the way that we treat our community. I would invite anyone in to come and be a part of this community and know that they would be well taken care of. So I don't think, I'm not preaching this sermon because there's like some issue happening that I'm like secretly pointing a finger about. I actually think we're doing a great job, which is why it's good at this point to remind ourselves of how we can continue practicing living in peace with one another. It's good to remind yourself when you're in a good place rather than if things get sort of rocky along the way. And Paul, he had some really good advice for his people back 2,000 years ago, and I think it's still good advice for us here today. So he offers several pieces of advice in this letter to the Colossians. He says, first, you all should put some clothes on. You should keep the body of Christ warm. You should cover it with compassion and kindness humility and meekness and patience. Essentially, he's saying to his people, you should put on the virtues that you're seeking to embody, to show to the world. The second thing he says is, you know, you are always going to have some disagreements and complaints. When it gets cold and rainy outside, that one joint in your body is just always going to be a little bit achy. There's always going to be something. So just like God forgave each one of you, you should forgive each other. You should be kind and patient and forgiving with the body that you have, with what you already have to work with. Third, he says to them, in love, let the peace of Christ dwell in all of your hearts and remind yourselves again and again that you are part of one body. This is so important. We have to remind ourselves that we are not sort of our own little thing hanging out in the middle of Milan. We are part of a much greater body of Christ. We are not just the eye. We are part of the whole. Fourth, Paul tells his people, be thankful. Express your gratitude for everything that God has given to you. Give thanks for the other parts of the body. Give thanks for the hands that changed the light bulb so you didn't even have to think about it, and the feet that chased the toddlers around in the nursery this morning, and the stomach that created the treats we're going to enjoy in the fellowship hall. Be thankful for the other parts of Christ's body. Finally, Paul says to his people, you should worship together. You should sing your songs, you should read your stories, you should pray your prayers, because when you worship together, you are going to be reminded who God is and how you are called to live together as one body. Now, this is honestly why I really love the community Thanksgiving and the community Good Friday services that we host with the other churches here in Milan. Because I think that when we gather together as a greater Christian community, we are reminded how much more we have in common as the one body of Christ than we do in our differences. Worshiping in community together, whether it's a Sunday morning here or a Sunday night at the community Thanksgiving service, it's sort of like giving insulin to a diabetic. It fills up our body with something that we don't produce all on our own. It's something we're missing, but worship gives it back to us. It reminds us you are part of one body. So my hope and my prayer for us in this season of Advent and going forward is that together we would give thanks to God for this body that we have been given in this place, 
and that we would continue to seek out ways that we can live at peace amongst ourselves as the body of Christ in this church, in the community, and in this world. Thanks be to God, and amen.